You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. Well, we are going to be in 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 32. And, uh, and so if you um, are familiar with Highland, you know that we are in a series right now called Steady Faith. And we are looking at the scripture and seeing what God um, tells us about uh, the things that stabilize our faith. Because the things that stabilize our faith stabilize our lives. On this side of Heaven, it is by faith we live. And so, but when we see him face to face, uh, faith will no longer uh, be necessary. But until then, uh, faith or really, uh, um, uh, faith is the, the vision that we have, the way that we perceive the world, the things um, that, that stabilize our faith are essential uh, to our survival as Christians and, and our flourishing as, as human beings. And so we are in that series right now. I'm obviously not John Durham. I I'm Jordan McKinney. I'm the student pastor. My arms are much smaller uh, and will never be. Um, and, and so I'm just thankful for the grace of God because my biceps just are lacking. And so praise God for that. Um, if you're streaming with us, hopefully you are um, because you're not in this room until June 7th. We're so excited that you're tuning in and, uh, and, and please share the link with a friend and feel free to comment in the comment section. Um, if, I, if I spout something that you want to say amen to, that's great. If I spout a heresy, please correct me in there uh, or, or just send me an email or actually better yet, just send John the email because I'd rather him deal with that. So um, my son, if you know anything about my son, Jacob, my oldest, he is four years old and he is a story teller. In fact, he's an expert storyteller. He could give any preacher a run for his money. And so uh, a few weeks ago, I told him, I said, Hey, I, daddy's going to preach in a few weeks. And, uh, and so for for the bedtime story tonight, I want to read this story to you about David and Goliath. And, uh, and he said, Daddy, stop right there. And so I knew what was about to happen. Uh, he was about to tell me his version of the story, and he did. He said, Daddy, let me tell you about David and Goliath. And so he began to tell me all about David and Goliath. He said there was this big giant, and there was this tiny little man. And they went face to face. And then the velociraptors came out and the little man had to fight the velociraptors and dragons came from the sky and the gorillas had to come out of the forest. And he began to go on and on and on about this crazy elaborate story that, that sounds like the next uh, Marvel film. I thought, man, this could make some serious money, but that's not the real version of the story. And I had to stop him and, and, and kind of re rehash some of the details and work through it. Because why do I tell you that? It's because there's a, there's a version of the story that's Jacob's and there's a version of the story uh, that, that's the reality of it. And so we, we do that with familiar passages like 1 Samuel 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. And, and so you've heard it applied in certain ways. You've heard it taught since your childhood. For some reason, children are obsessed with these great stories of death in the Old Testament. I felt like growing up, we always talked about the flood where everyone on earth died. Um, no one ever paints that um, on their nurse wall, all the people kind of drowning, but that's what happened. And then we get to David and Goliath and this guy gets his head, spoiler alert, by the way, he gets his head cut off. And for some reason, these are like, these are like children's discipleship go-to stories. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story and really see, because I think there's something profound um, here that we often miss in the story. 
And there's something profound that I often miss in this story. And, and we want to just unravel that, unroll that together. And so 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 32, and we're just gonna read through a, a good portion of the story here. So buckle up. Verse 32, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight him for you are but a youth and this man has been uh, uh, fighting since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Well, that's helpful. Used to keep sheep. And there uh, would come a lion or a bear and, and take a lamb from the flock. I went after him and I struck him and delivered out of his mouth the lamb. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine, if you don't know what that means, Google it, um, shall be one of them. And, and, and he uh, has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And, and Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, put his helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not uh, tested them. And then David said to Saul, I can't go with these. I, I've not tested them. So David took them off and, and then he took his staff in his hand and, and chose, uh, he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them into the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved towards and moves forward and came near to David and uh, with his shield bearer in front of him. And the Philistine looked and saw David and disdained him for he was a youth ruddy and handsome and in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come hit me with, with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you will come. You will come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I will come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel and that is all, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword, not with spear, for the battle is the Lord's, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran uh, quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put uh, his hand into his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face into the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. 
David. This is probably the most famous story from David's life. It's one of the most famous stories in the narrative of scripture. In fact, it's, it's a famous story in general. Even secular society uses this as an analogy, a metaphor for describing stories like an underdog story. This is a, this is a story about the, the little guy over becoming the man, overcoming the man, right? Like this is a story about an underdog, about a guy who, had, who believed in himself and mustered up the courage to overcome, right? Like this is a story about looking at the blessings of God in your life and saying, you know what, I can do it. I believe in myself. I can do anything that I set my mind to. This is a story about the lacking of faith in Goliath. And he was just an uncircumcised Philistine. What a joke. And, 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 and so he, he should have known that God was gonna uh, use this little guy to overcome him. This is an underdog story. One of the most interesting ways I've heard this preached was a few years ago uh, by a guy named Tim Keller, and he actually kind of exploded that idea for me. And, and so what I, I want to do is um, I, I wanna look at some of the things that he pointed out and, and some of the things that I've heard other pastors point out in recent days is we've kind of begun to reinterpret the story probably in a more biblical way. As we look at the details, the first one is this, um, the Israelites were fearful. They were fearful. Fearfulness is when we have faith in something, but we realize it isn't enough. Fearfulness is when we have faith in the wrong thing. Faithfulness is something, is this moment in this mindset where we have put our trust in something that has an expiration date. And so Goliath calls them, I love earlier in this passage, Goliath has called the Israelites Saul's men. He says, are you not Saul's servants? Why don't you come out here and fight for Saul? It's funny that the appraisal of the outsider is actually spot on. These are supposed to be the people of God, the servants of God, not the servants of Saul. And yet Goliath can clearly tell, man, they're all afraid because they have a, they, they have a decently, you know, Saul was actually known for being pretty tall. He was head and shoulders kind of above everybody else. He may have been um, 6'2", which is actually probably a larger, uh, over six feet. He was larger than most of the men and women of the day. And so Saul was a, a substantial uh, warrior. And yet they're terrified because clearly they have put their faith in Saul. They have put their faith in uh, the, the sword. They have put their faith in the weapons of war. They have put their faith not on God, but on their king, on their weaponry, on their abilities. And they have found them lacking in the sight of the giant. And so the, the thing that we need to realize here is this, that um, man, in our day, there are a lot of people who are fearful. Uh, I cannot tell you how many Facebook fights I have witnessed and you probably have witnessed in the past couple of weeks. Fights about how we need to, you know, there's, there's this kind of dichotomy that's happening in society. There's a split. I don't know if you've noticed it. It's not necessarily a, a political uh, uh, team kind of split like we had before coronavirus, but uh, we, we've now, during the lockdown season, we have people who are like anti-lockdown and they're like, man, we should go out there and, and, and coronavirus isn't that big a deal. It's all a pandemic and all these kind of things. And then you've got this other side who says, no, this is like, you're going to die if you go to HEB. Don't you go outside and if if you go outside, you're complicit in murder and you've got these two extremes happening and there's an explosion that's happening on Facebook and I am sick of it and I know you are too. And the fuel of that fire is fear. It's when fear takes over the mindset. And so the people of God in this story, 
um, th- they are filled with fear. They are fear filled. Right now, the stats, if you trust the WHO organization, they're saying right now that, that even uh, 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 stats in China now, after the, the kind of great outbreak that they experienced, um, depression is, is up uh, 50%. Uh, um, there are people who are dealing with anxiety, maybe even up into 30, 40% more than usual. The people who already were dealing with depression and anxiety have said that, that this lockdown season has actually um, um, worsened it, has, has uh, 40% say it is actually much, much worse. Um, there are pornography sites who say they have actually gone up hundreds of percentages in the amount of people who are visiting because people, when they get afraid, they turn to their gods, they turn to their idols. See, the idle mind is an idle factory. And so during this lockdown season, people have been fear-filled and they have sought arguments, they have sought to fight, they have sought some sense of control, some sense of maybe that is, is the idol, maybe that's the God. But listen, this may be the most controversial statement that you've heard from this pulpit in a while, but coronavirus actually might be the kindness of God. What do I mean by that? God oftentimes sends us more than we can handle. It's a lie from hell that God won't send you more than you can handle. In fact, he does it in his grace. Why? Because it oftentimes pain, trial, suffering, that's the only thing that will wake us up from our stupor of drunkenness and finding our faith, putting our faith in the wrong object. The point, really the main point of the sermon today and really the main point of the text I'm gonna keep coming back to is this. This isn't an underdog story. This isn't a story about courage, really. This is a story about the object of our faith. What is your faith in? What are you trusting in? Man, oftentimes God sends us more than we can handle to show us that our faith wasn't actually in him in the first place. It was in something that he gave us. It was in the blessing and not the blesser. Listen, it is possible for Christians, for Christians to transfer their faith deposits to the blessing. And we don't real. I heard a senior adult say this the other day and I thought it was so wise. She said, man, that's true, but we never realize it until things get bad. We don't realize it oftentimes until things get bad. And if we have done that, if we, have, if we are fear-filled right now, if we are full of fear right now, we have made a scandalous exchange. I remember during the, the, uh, uh, the recession in 2008 and 2009, that there were tons of CEOs and wealthy people who were well-invested, who were losing money and stocks. And there, was a, uh, there were vast numbers of, of suicides that were making the news because people had found their faith in their money, in their career, in their, in their job, and they have found it lacking when it was taken away. Listen, the Israelites were fear-filled in this moment. They were terrified. In fact, by the way, if you, if you were going to follow the habit of infusing yourself in the story, you and I aren't David. We're not the underdog that overcomes the giant. This isn't a story about overcoming your giants. We are the terrified Israelites. We are the fear-filled Israelites in this story. Man, fear has stepped onto the throne of their heart. And yet God's grace would interrupt this moment. Uh, Psalm 56 verse three says this, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
See, being courageous doesn't mean that you don't have any fear and putting your faith in the right place does not mean that, you don't have, that you're not afraid. Of course, David was afraid. The, the, the weight of, of, of the, the battle was on his shoulders. If he lost, this was in single combat. This was actually a common practice of the day. They were in the Valley of Elah. Elah was this beautiful uh, uh, region of, of Israel and it's still there today. And it, it actually, Elah in Aramaic is a, a word for God, is a name for God, but actually... Uh, the meaning here means the valley of the terebinth tree. And so there were these large trees that had outstretching branches on either side of the valley. And so you had the Philistines kind of hiding under their trees, under the shade over there. And you had the Israelites bunched up over here and they were kind of waiting. Everyone knew if as soon as they stepped foot in the valley, their day was over, their day was done. It was not going to be a good day. And so, especially when Goliath stepped foot onto the battlefield and went into the battle front. And so what is happening happening here, it wasn't that David stepped out because he wasn't afraid. He stepped out because his faith was in the right place. The next thing that I want to point out is this, is that Goliath was not fearful. He was fearless. Goliath was fearless. If this is a story about fearlessness, Goliath is the hero of the story because he was more fearless than anyone. Uh, Robert uh, Alter says this, this moment is actually, he's a, um, a premier Hebrew scholar and a scholar of ancient literature. And he says, actually, the description of Goliath is meant to contrast greatly with the, the, uh, the description of David. It's actually meant to be kind of a gross comparison. You see um, the description uh, of Goliath here, and it says that he was a champion, a champion meant someone who would go between for his people. The, the people, the Philistines were, were willing. This man had been a proven warrior since his youth. He was a man of great fame. He was a man of great accolades. He had accomplished a lot. He had won over and over and over. And it says his height may have been for anywhere between eight feet and nine foot six. There's a lot of debate there, but either way, this man is a giant. He is a huge, massive hulking of a man. And he is not just tall, but he is strong. He has 120 pounds, 125 pounds of armor. He has a spearhead that weighs probably 15 pounds, according to the text here. And Robert Alter says that's bizarre in a Hebrew text to describe what a man is wearing and what he is holding. Why do they do that? Because it's meant to show two different types of heroes. See, Goliath was a fearless hero. He had put his faith in what he had on. He was everything that we see as a hero. He was the Hulk. He was the Hulk from the Marvel films. He was, he was Thor. He is what we see as, as a great hero, a great champion in our day. See, fearlessness, here's the problem. Fearlessness is when we have faith in something that also has an expiration date, but we haven't realized it. See, fearfulness is whenever we do realize it has an expiration date. But fearlessness is when we have faith in something, in an object that has an expiration date, but we don't realize it. Goliath had his, had his spear, had his sword, had his, uh, had his accolades, had his past uh, um, wins. He was fearless. But listen, Goliath's fearlessness was his foolishness. It led to his demise. See, fear actually serves a purpose. Fear tells us to not be stupid. Okay, and what happens here, sorry for my French, fear makes us, uh, a fear uh, keeps us from stupidity. And yet David was a kid, he sees this kid with a sling and Goliath has no reason to fear him. Do you not realize that these armies actually had archers who all carried slings? They knew that a sling could kill a man. 
He would throw a rock. By the way, the rocks in that area are actually more dense than, than the typical rock. They're made out of a type of sulfate that makes them more dense and heavy. And so he knew that, that, this, that there were plenty of stones to choose from. He knew that that sling could actually throw faster than a major league pitcher. And if it hit him just right, he would be done. David wasn't a child. He was probably 17, 18 years old. He wasn't quite old enough to be in the army yet, but he was an older guy. Just because his dad sent him to give his brother cheese sandwiches doesn't mean he can't sling a sling. And so he steps into this moment with a sling. And what does Goliath do? He, he leaves his shield bearer behind. He goes in shields down. See, he is so confident in himself that he has zero fear. Fearlessness is not the goal of this story. Fearlessness was Goliath's foolishness. And so before we're too hard on big old Goliath, I want you to notice something. We live among a people who are Goliath type thinkers and we ourselves are Goliath thinkers. Often we find our our faith placed in organization and planning. And when our plans fail, we get angry, we get upset. It ruins our day when plans don't follow through. We find our value, our faith and our money and our financial security. How's that working for you? Uh, um, uh, we find our security and appearances. If someone else walks in the room that's prettier than you, you feel threatened, you begin to get bitter against them. If someone has a more funny personality than you or preachers, there's a better preacher in the room. We get insecure and, and we begin to think, man, maybe I'm not good enough. Or you begin to hate that other person and, and you can't be happy for a friend who accomplishes something. You're jealous of them. You can't celebrate with people's accomplishments. Man, maybe it's your religious record. Maybe it's your religious record that you have pride in your life. The scripture says, and the he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Your, your, your religious record has nothing to do with your salvation. It is a beautiful overflow of your relationship with God, but you are not saved because you're a good person. If you were a good person, God wouldn't have sent Jesus to be slaughtered on a cross for you. You are not a good person and nor am I. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity is that we have a God who sees our gross and still wants to bring good to us. Um, Psalm 20 verse seven says this, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And that leads us to the last thing that we need to notice here is that David was faithful. See, faithfulness is when we trust in something in a way that changes us. Faithfulness is when we have put our faith in something and it, and it shapes the way that we live. The, the object of our faith becomes the recipient of our action and our affection. Let me say that again. The object of our faith becomes the recipient of our action and affection. That's called faithfulness. David is young. When he walked out into the battlefield, can you imagine what these older warriors were thinking? This guy is an idiot. He's gonna, why, are we, why, why did Saul let him go out there and fight for all of us? He's just a child. He doesn't know anything yet. He hasn't been in battle. He's not, he hasn't done this before. He, he, why, why is he going out there? Man, kids are just lustful after power, after recognition. They just think they know everything. He'll learn one day. He'll learn one day. You know what I love about, um, you, you know, you notice that sometimes in older people that kind of, I've, I've learned to be a cynic because sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes things don't follow through. One of the things I love about Highland is that our older people, our elders, the elders of our church still pray like they're, 
crazy youth. Like they haven't learned to be cynics. Our, our people still give as if there's no tomorrow. Our senior adults still pray as if God's gonna move, move, as if God could shake the foundations of the walls of this place. They still worship, they still pray, they still have their faith in God. See, this isn't primarily necessarily a story about a young man who is an underdog who overcomes the giant. This is a story about a young man who has placed his faith in the right place. He has put his chips towards the right corner. He has put his money on the right horse in the race. See, if you are going to put yourself in the story, you're the scared Israelites, but David represents someone far greater. David is the representative of Jesus. This isn't about David's faithfulness. This is about God's faithfulness. And Jesus was the greater David. See, David may have been a champion for the Israelites, but Jesus is our champion for all eternity. Uh, that's why Hebrews 11 commands David for his faith. Hebrews 11 commends David for his faith, but then right afterwards in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the champion and the finisher of our faith. He is the one who initiates our faith. He's the one who stepped in and started the moment when you began to question. It may have seemed like you showed up to church accidentally or you read the Bible accidentally or somebody ran into you at HEB and shared the gospel with you and you began to question your salvation and those kind of things. But that interruption in your life that began your faith journey to the point where you would say, I wanna transfer all that I am to all that he is. I wanna put my faith not on myself. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. That moment was initiated initiated by him and that moment begins to thrive and grow and flourish and that is because of the work that he's doing in you work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you God is the one who is at work and here is the beauty and the blessing of this story your faith is only as stable as its object your faith is only as stable as the stability of the object of your faith. What is your faith in? Is it stable? Is it secure? Jesus is a greater David and he is the right object of our faith. And here's, here's what I love about him. It's not just, he's not just faithful to us when we are faithful to him. But 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, even when we are faithless, he is still faithful for he cannot deny Himself, He is for us even when we are not for him. That's hard to accept because we don't like relationships like that. We're into relationships for the things that we can get out of them. What, what do you contribute to God? When's the last time God woke up and thought, man, I'm really grateful for Jordan McKinney. He just makes my life so much better. I, I just love a, a little rebellious son who can't get anything right and fails, for, forgets things, forgets appointments, doesn't pray enough, doesn't give enough, doesn't, you know, who, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't want this guy who has these secret thoughts that are just terrible that, that you know, he, he and, and you, you just fill in the blank. I'm kind of dogging on myself, but you can fill in the blank yourself. Who wouldn't want a group of, of children who are rebellious, who don't love him consistently like this? They should. And yet God, that's his nature is that we have a tendency, as one pastor said, we have a tendency to run from him, but he has a tendency to chase us. Um, in the Count of Monte Cristo, um, Edmund Dantes is set up by a friend and wrongfully uh, imprisoned. He has a life sentence. 
and he is selled. He's this bitter man full of grief and bitterness against his friend and wants revenge. And he's actually prisoned with a priest. He's selled with a priest and the priest um, and him had this kind of tunnel that they're trying to tunnel their way out of the prison. And, uh, and so during this time, the priest is teaching him how to fight and teaching him. And he, he actually reveals that he knows where this great treasure is that would change their whole lives if they could just get out of the prison. And there's an accident. There's a cave in and the priest gets, gets these stones and rocks that are dropped on him. And as an older man, his body can't sustain the blows. And, and Edmund Dantes pull, pulls him out and he begins to, to speak to him. And he says, don't, don't die, I need you. I need you to stay alive. I need you to fight. And he says, I need you to hear me. I'm gonna teach you one final lesson. He says, don't, don't become guilty for the, for the crime that you are now serving a sentence for. Don't go and have vengeance against your friend. God says, vengeance is mine. Edmund Dantes says, I, I, I don't believe in God. And the priest says, ah, he believes in you. What is he saying there? What he's saying is this, is that God is for us even when we aren't for him. That is the, the beauty of the cross is that when all had gone astray, no one sought after God, no one did what was right in his eyes. And yet he still came to be our champion. See, David put his life on the line, but he conquered uh, Goliath. He didn't die but Jesus put his life on the line and was crucified. And yet he conquered the giant of death. He conquered the giant of hell. He conquered the giant of sin and he is still into conquering giants today. And so that's why we say he is the one who is worthy of our faith. He is the true object of our faith. He is immovable. He is immutable. He is stable and he is the only one who is worthy of our faith. And so are you, have you placed your trust? Have you placed your faith in him or have you placed your faith in the things that he has given you? Man, we pray for the things that cause us to not need him. We pray for more stability, for more comfort. You talk about an idol, that is the idol of our culture is convenience and comfort. And COVID-19 has made us uncomfortable and therefore it has been a gift from God. Jesus is still into conquering giants. And the best example I can give you for that is this. When I was six years old, my father abandoned my family and I. And that became our testimony. When I was six years old, he left us. Um, I saw a fight with he and his mom, with he and, and his wife, my mom, and he, he told my mom, he said, I'm gonna kill you at one point. And, and he saw me in the doorway and he left and I never saw him again. And for years, I was terrified of him. I was so filled with fear that I would have to go be with him. I would have to go have a meal with him. I would have to interact with him. And I was filled with fear of the potential of having to do that. And, and so these years go by, decades go by. And, and last year, last August, we found out that my dad has a stroke. And none of us wanted to go see him. If I'm honest with you, I don't know if I should say that because I'm a minister, but I just didn't want to go see him because I was still filled with fear. And yet we decided to go the Lord kind of moved in my sister and my mom and she, my mom really suggested that we needed to go make peace with him and go tell him that we'd forgiven him, that we loved him. 
and we were able to, to be with him for the next several months in and out of hospital moments. And, and he was, as he was dying, we had these, these final breaths and there was this inner healing that needed to happen for us. There was these layers of fear and of anxiety and of stress, things that we had put our faith in, people that we had put our faith in because he had been faithless. And these, these places where we hadn't put our eyes on Jesus, we hadn't put our faith in the Lord, we had put our faith in other things and in avoiding him. And we followed our fear and we followed our wrongly placed faith. And yet God knew exactly how to be for us. And he brought us to a place of healing and we were able to forgive him and he was able to have relationship with us. And we really, by the day that he had passed away this spring and we went to bury him, we all wept because of the work that only God could do. It was so intentional and so personal for each one of us. For each one of us, it was different. And each one of us, it was so right on point. And so the point of today is this, Jesus is worthy Uh, of your faith. He is the object of our faith. And if you put your faith in anything else, it can't deliver like that. It won't bring inner healing to you. It won't step in the way of the giant and it cannot conquer. Uh, Money can't do anything for you. Do you realize everything you own is gonna burn? Everything you own is the content of future garage sales and landfills. Don't put your faith in anything this world can afford today. Let me pray for you. Jesus, you are the worthy object of our faith. Jesus, you are the one who is our champion, who stands in the gap. Jesus, you are the one who fulfills the promise of salvation Jesus, we so often put our faith in things that have an expiration date. Whether it's our fearfulness or our fearlessness, we have put our confidence in something that isn't you. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you're a God who is for us even when we are against you because you cannot deny yourself. You are a perfect God. Father, thank you for loving us as children. You're the one who is faithful to us all the time. You are good all the time and all the time you are good. And so now we worship you. God, if any of us have transferred our faith, if we had made, if we have made that cheap exchange for something that is lesser, I pray now in this moment, Father, if you're at home watching, would you, would you just take a few moments? I'm gonna give you a few moments here to, to transfer your faith back to him. It's so simple. It's such a simple idea. If you're a Christian who's put your faith in other things, you, you simply need to posture yourself back to God. Whether that's a prayer, it's a mindset, it's a heart shift, you transfer your faith back to him. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you can do that right now in this moment, in this time, he will be your champion. He will be the champion for you over death, over hell, over the sting of this world of things that are fleeting and never fulfilling. But would you transfer your faith to the true worthy object of our faith? In Jesus' name, amen.